Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Juliana Osborne and we're talking with Rodney Watson. This is a continuation of our discussion where we're looking at the similarities between big sporting organisation administration and business administration. One of the challenges that I faced early in my volunteer career was the volunteers in sports organisations and the move from what I termed the kitchen table management era to that of a professional environment. Valuing the volunteers but recruiting and retaining volunteers and then we've actually moved further now to where a lot of the larger netball club associations actually employ part-time part administrators because the administration workload is quite enormous. Over the past number of years the critical issues you know and we don't think about these until you reflect. But when, for instance, we introduced, the government introduced GST into sport, goods and services tax, it impacted on sport. Yeah. So we had to make sure we had fi financial people in roles of treasurer, etc., of a club who was able to manage doing the, the reporting. that yeah. sort of reporting. <coughs> More recently, and I mean, when I say recently, in the last five or set ten years, things like the issues associated with ethics, in, integrity in sport, yeah. you know, drugs, peptides, yeah. gambling, ASADA. When we talk about that, I guess some of the most critical ones that come to mind quickly, the, like the Essendon Football Club and other codes, etc. Fortunately, we have had none, no ASADA-type issues within netball, but I can assure you those ASADA officials are at all of those games, etc., yeah, off yeah. to do the testing and things such as yeah. that. The other one that I think has been quite critical that people may not even have thought about in terms of volunteering is the work health and safety legislation, mm -hmm. particularly where you employ a part-time administrator or whatever, and all of these impact back on the volunteer mm -hmm. and on the executive within those yeah. uh, volunteering yeah. roles. So it, it's a totally different landscape now. While you're still in the Penrose side yeah. of things, you probably won't say it, so I'm going to say you did receive a sports award of some sort. What was that? It sounds like absolutely well-deserved from all the contribution you have made to now. We'll just get down on our knees while he reads it out. <laughs> in 2000, the year 2000, I received the Australian Sports Medal from the Australian Government, yeah. as did many, many worthy people or many other people throughout Australia. It's a big honour, though, and a oh, recognition, yes. Yes, of, a recognition of, the hard of, work. of what people were doing yeah. for yeah. their sport. Indeed, there were nine of those awards given out in mm. Penrith across the three and a half thousand people mm. and I was fortunate enough to be able to select the other eight people. Oh, I wow. didn't select myself but <laughs> uh, the other eight people, the That's other eight good. contributors yeah. and they, they, they received those awards. Some of them were mm. inaugural members of the association yeah. and others had put in sort of an incredible amount of work. Not only as a player but yeah. also as members within their own club and sort yeah. of at rep level and all sorts of things. In 2002 I was made a life member of Penrith District mm -hmm. Netball Association and then in 2003 I was awarded the Centenary Medal by the Australian mm -hmm. Government and that was for my contribution to sport and the community 
because in the Penrith district, uh, local government area, because at that point in time, I was also on two other boards in Penrith. I was a company director of the City of Penrith Regional Indoor and Aquatic Centre, trading as the Ripples Leisure Centre. And I was also the company director of the Penrith Sports Stadium and subsequently also occupied the role of chairman for five years. Then in 2000, I guess in terms of Penrith though, then in 2003, I was also recognised by the Penrith City Council where they had what they then had a wall of achievement where certain residents were awarded a, uh, an accolade, I suppose, called yeah. the wall of achievement for their contribution to different areas of sport of volunteering, etc., within the Penrith local government area. That was sort of during my time at Penrith. Finish the list. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Let's yeah. Go well, the list. In, in 2003, I was approached to stand for election for the position of company director or vice president, as it was then, with the New South Wales Netball Association or Netball New South Wales. I was successful in that election, which then had the responsibility of managing or looking after some 113 affiliated associations throughout Nepal, New South Wales. My first role and my first appointment there was as Vice President, and as Vice President I had a pretty important job of the responsibility for the development of netball in regional New South Wales, so anything outside the Sydney Basin. And in those days we had this company structure of Netball New South Wales that each director had a portfolio responsibility. Now we have since moved on away from there as we have developed good government governance and followed uh, other structures. But one of the things that I was pretty proud of at the time is that I introduced across all of the rural areas of the of New South Wales program clinics for by coaches and umpires for to travel to regional associations so that we could upskill all of those people who did not have the opportunity to come into Sydney for higher level training or, or skill development, particularly as umpire as a coach. Over the years, obviously, that's with technology, that's changed somewhat, and a lot of those things are now done via the internet, mm. uh, particularly coaching development and mm. things such as that. But there's still a practical yes. component that's necessary, and, and mm. so we, we still do that sort of thing. But that certainly also, I think, went a long way to making the country associations feel as though they were part of the organisation, because our structure is such that each association, netball associations, that's like Penrith, Manly, Sutherland, Cootamundra, Tweed Heads, all, they are all run independently. They are their own, they have their own deal. They are able to make their own rules, etc. And while they affiliate with Netball New South Wales, they are autonomous in their own operating yeah. right. Yeah. So we had to make sure that in part, as part of that affiliation that we provided them and gave them the same things 
that they saw or felt that city associations were getting. Yeah. So it was fixing that divide. And once again, communication. And I used to visit at least eight different things a year. I'm not probably regressing a bit now. But in 1995, there was a bit of an up or 1994, my first meeting at Netball New South Wales as a delegate of Penrith Association to Netball New South Wales. There was a significant upheaval at that meeting and a few unfortunate things occurred. But the upshot of it was that there was a planning and development committee formed, of which I was a member, to establish and review and recommend a new structure for the development of netball in New Mm. South Wales. That, to me, was a watershed era Mm -hmm. and a watershed time. I I was presented the recommendations to the new Netball New South Wales Council, but this particularly resulted in the establishment of eight regions for the development of netball throughout New South Wales. It included the establishment of regional coordinators so we could draw all of their needs. And they and that the regional associations particularly had a reference point that they could go to who worked locally to um, satisfy their needs. Would you say that generally, in your experience, that crisis has triggered better government governance? Certain, certainly, I believe that in the 1990s and the early 2000s, crisis management did result in better governance and in better management. There is no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. We were perhaps, we were being reactive rather than proactive. Okay. And that's an evolution also in the sort of in 2006, the organisation took the decision to move from a portfolio-based responsibility board to one of a board without uh, company directors without portfolio, but a collective responsibility for the strategic direction of the sport. Now, that was a quantum shift. Yes. And a quantum shift in terms of governance Associated with that, the board at the time saw a critical need for us to review our constitution and review our policies. Now, in they reviewing, weren't scared of doing that. You know, these are big steps yeah, for organisations uh, to take. <laughs> they are phenomenal steps. When, in retrospect, when I think back to what we embarked on from 1995 and embedded, embedding down a number of those things and then like 10 years it took us almost to get those organisations, those associations to see where we were heading, what we wanted to do, what we thought was best or to convince them of what we considered to be the best way forward for our sport. At the time where you made these decisions to review the constitution to, to make these changes, did you understand the time frame that you were going to have to work with? I was frustrated. To me, because you're working that, and when I was working on that planning and development committee, the light bulbs were just saying, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do this. But Nepal started, started in, 19, in this state in 1929. And here we were in 1999, 70 years later. But 
as with many sports up until perhaps 2000, 2005, change was not a word that was accepted. Mm. We lived in an era where we went to netball on Saturday, and Saturday and netball was probably more organised than a number of other sports. And, and I'll give a classic example. I always remember the former member for Penrith, Faye Lopo, who stood in Parliament at one time and said that netball at Penrith was run like the Russian army. Oh. <laughs> but she said it in a kind way, oh, insofar as it was organised <laughs> at nine o'clock, the first whistle went, yeah. bell went, and the game just rang for the rest of the day. If you weren't there, you missed out. We yes. did not hold up the games or we did not hold up anything because someone was running late. Yeah. Whereas across the road, well, mm. down the road, a, a couple of kilometres away, my son was playing hockey. Yeah. And he was you know, a reasonable hockey player at that point in time. I know it cost me a fortune in goalie gear. <laughs> and he played some junior reps and things such as that and went on to play in the Sydney Comp for a while. Yeah. But their game was due to start at one o'clock, one thirty. Yeah. But if all the teams weren't there by, until one forty-five, well, we didn't start until one forty-five. Uh, and that, to me, was a reflection at that point in time of poor governance. Mm. And once again, I come back to that thing of governance that you need yeah. to have for anything to be successful in work, play, or anywhere in between. Yeah. Unless you have the governance and the policies in place, yep. and you stick to those rules. First of all, you publish them yeah. widely, and you make sure that people understand this is how we operate mm -hmm. and why we operate this way, yep. and then you stick to them. Until you do that, your sport or your business will always become a little bit of a backwater in terms of progression. It's amateur rather than professional. In, manage, in management yeah, terms. Yeah, exactly. You've got to have terms. professional management yeah. across the yes. board, whatever you're and doing. Whether it be volunteering in sport or whether it be in your business, unless you have that professional management and you have those rules in place, like, for instance, work health and safety. Mm. Unless you've mm. got your work health and safety rules laid down, yeah. you are left with a huge exposure Legally yeah, yeah. and financially. And morally. Yeah, and morally. Yeah, well, morally. the moral right. thing the is probably one. the greatest yeah. of all. Yeah. But people tend to overlook those moral sides yeah. when it becomes a financial hit in the pocket. And it's yeah. about responsibility. <coughs> I know that I have harped on in some of the other podcasts about individual responsibility, yeah. but I see yeah. that as an area that is so lacking these days, yes. the individuals taking responsibility yeah. for everything. Let me say, I think one of the most important and critical things that I have gained and hopefully contributed to in my volunteering areas has been the critical development of today's youth. Team sports are critical to the development of today's youth. We do not get that development in the public school or in any schooling system in terms of that team environment. I think that also at present from within this public system or within the schooling system, we have, have a, an ethos and it's no reflection on the teachers or anything, 
whereby everyone is rewarded to a point. So that if you go to the local sports carnival, we really don't have winners. Mm. We have everyone participating. That is great to a point, but you need to have winners and losers in life. Because when you leave school and you go for your job, there's going to be a winner for the job and there's going to be people who miss out on I the think, job. I think, too, that, that within that framework, what we don't encourage is gracious winners yes. as well as oh, exactly. responsible losers. Yeah. 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 Oh, and you're quite right. For me, team sport, particularly netball, introduces discipline mm. and it preaches discipline because one mistake or one error by a player can result in a goal being scored and a match won. Mm. Yeah, and we have a winner because yeah. you did not was yeah, not do disciplined. Your best. Yeah. Yeah. Not disciplined. You can do your yeah. best but you've got to be disciplined. Right. Yeah. It's working together in a team yes. environment. When you get into the workforce, what do you have to do? There's not too many jobs that I yeah. know of where there's one person only that you're your own boss and you do not communicate you or work with, with anyone. Yeah, there's no with such someone. a thing. No yeah. such animal. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to be an individual that fits within a team mentality. You've got to show leadership mm. or grow and learn leadership within that because mm-hmm. even though you're in a team situation, leadership roles come to the fore yes. because you're responsible for your part of the game, mm-hmm. etc. but you've got to make sure it fits yeah. in with everybody yeah. else in the game. Mm. You have to take responsibility for your actions and how often do we hear that today? Mm. People refuse to say accept responsibility it's always someone else's fault yeah that's right always someone else's fault and if everybody took their own responsibility then we'd be all right exactly if we owned up and said i was responsible for that happening there i will do something to correct it that's right and the last one i suppose is also Respect for authority. We have, if you walk down the streets in this day and age, mm. very little respect for authority. Yeah. Look at graffiti. Yeah. Look at those sorts of things. And respect for authority in the, in the office environment. If you don't like your boss, you still need to respect the boss. Yeah. They're there, you're not. Mm. If you don't like it and it's that bad, mm. well then yeah. find another job. That's right. Don't put in a complaint of bullying or these sorts of things that have become so great catchphrases in in more recent times where we have all of these things, oh, they're bullying me because I didn't like the way she spoke to me or I didn't like the way he spoke to me. Mm. Really, that to me is not life. We're clutching so at straws to get is, our own way. Sorry, what, what you're saying in being in sport and having responsible management in sport and the approach that you take, which is educating people, showing them real-life skills and how to behave, goes a long way. Just to bring me to the bit where we talked a lot in other podcasts about being on boards, and a lot of people want to be. And I think when they listen to you, I think we're going to have a lot more interest in people saying, I want to be part of the volunteer network in sport, as well as being on boards, because... What I'm hearing here, you give so much to the world 
and to the young ones in the world and all through, as well as you get a lot of satisfaction from that. I just have to wind it up here because we're in a room that's booked and I can see that there are people waiting to come in for the next booking. But we're going to continue the discussion over lunch. So <laughs> if, if there's background noise, you'll understand why. But we've still got a lot of things that we need to talk about, so we're going to continue it over lunch. Join us for part three of our discussion with Rodney Watson where we're going to really focus on being a board member or thinking about becoming a board member. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Juliana Osborne, and we're talking with Rodney Watson. This is Inside Exec.